So this is week five and not a fan. And um, we've been challenged with that whole concept of discipleship, following after Christ, being a, a totally, completely committed follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, we can use some other words that have kind of cropped up in recent times. Christians was one of the early uh, ways that, that believers in Christ were, were called, uh, or believer, or Christ follower, or followers of the way. But the interesting that the term Jesus used was that He called disciples, and they were called disciples. And I think Jesus was known for focusing upon discipleship. And the key concept about a disciple is that a disciple follows a teacher and has a definite relationship with that teacher. And that culture of the day in which Jesus taught in the New Testament times, the Greeks had teachers and followers. The, uh, the Jews had similar situation with rabbis who would teach and followers who would come after them. And that was the pattern that Jesus had. And there were those who would follow after Jesus as He called them and He would teach. And as He also uh, meandered around the uh, ancient lands there, He also gathered crowds of people. And oftentimes it was that gathering of the crowds, the largest number of people, that Jesus would spell out some of the hardcore demands of being a follower of His. And so they would learn from Him and they would have a definite relationship with Him. And that's the key in our life to understand that we are called to have a relationship with Christ. Doesn't matter if you're in church, doesn't matter about membership in church, but it matters about a relationship with Christ and not religion. The author of the book, Not a Fan, We've watched every week, week by week, with a little video that reminds us of that. So, he's got a little clip for us here this morning as well. It's not unusual for me to talk to Christian parents who are upset, concerned, because maybe a college-age child or an adult child is no longer following Jesus. And the parents usually want to know what happened. They want to know what went wrong. That's a hard question to answer. There's a lot of different possibilities. But I, I do my best just to listen to the story, to encourage them, and to pray for their child. But not long ago, I was uh, speaking in Houston, Texas. And after I was done speaking, this big man with this big belt buckle came up to me. But he had, uh, had tears in his eyes. And he began to tell me the story of his prodigal daughter who had left home and had walked away from her faith, was no longer following Jesus. But he didn't ask me what happened. He didn't seem to be looking for an explanation. In fact, with one sentence, he told me what he thought went wrong. He said, we raised her in church, but we didn't raise her in Christ. Do you ever go to the doctor and get an inoculation? They give you a little bit of a virus to try and make you immune to the real thing. I think that's what's happened to a lot of fans. They got a little bit of Jesus. Maybe at home, maybe at school, church, a little bit of Jesus and a whole lot of rules. Maybe a little bit of Jesus and a whole lot of tradition. But one of the most deadly things that can happen to your faith is to have just a little bit of Jesus. We raised her in church, but we didn't raise her in Christ. To be a follower of Jesus means more than simply being in church. It means to be in Christ, in a personal relationship with Him that's real, 
and meaningful. Following Jesus does not mean rules and regulations. It doesn't even mean religion. But following Jesus is a relationship of love. He loved us. He gave His life for us because of our sin. And we respond to His love with a loving faith commitment where we are in the deepest, most intimate relationship that we could share. Some years ago, uh, the Red Cross in an Oklahoma town posted signs all over the town with these words. said, I gave my blood, Christ gave His. I gave a pint, He gave all. The needle is small, sharp. The nails were large, dull. The table soft, restful. The cross rough, painful. The nurse is kind, gentle. The soldier is cruel, mean. The crowd applauds my sacrifice. They that pass by reviled him. Mine is for O positive, his for positively all. Mine at best will prolong a life for a while. His without doubt can save all forever. Make sure today that you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's only by being in that relationship with Christ, a relationship based on love that's real and meaningful and significant, that you begin to understand and accept the demands of discipleship. I think that's what Jesus is teaching in our scripture for today that we find in Mark's Gospel, the 8th chapter, beginning in verse 27. Jesus and His disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way He asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, He asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about Him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that He must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took Him aside and began to rebuke Him. But when Jesus turned and looked at His disciples, He rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, He said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men." Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. But when we hear Jesus speak in this context, and it, um, it's kind of similar to one that we've already looked at earlier, but yet there's some other dialogue that Jesus adds into this one. So we look at it today because I think he really spells out to us. Uh, the challenges of discipleship. And we have to be ready and willing to accept these challenges of discipleship just as we find them in this story and in the teaching of Jesus. And there are four I want to share with you. Uh, I think three. Well, three. I think, first of all, a real disciple confirms the claims of Jesus. 
It's an interesting dialogue that takes place here, isn't it? Once again, Jesus asked the disciples, who is it that people say I am? And they answered, well, some say this, and some say that, and some say the prophet. And then he pointedly asked them, well, who do you say I am? And it's important that he asked that question because Christianity stands firm or it falls and fails forever unless we, fail, unless we do not validate uh, the, uh, who Jesus Christ really is, that it, we affirm the claims of Jesus Christ. So you can't be a disciple of Christ if you don't build your relationship with Him based upon who He is, upon what He said, when what the prophets talked about, about the Messiah, and about what He would be, and about what He would do. Discipleship stands or it falls on the validity of Jesus Christ. So when the disciples heard Jesus ask that question, you know, who is it that they're saying I am? They had an answer. But then He pointedly turned and said, who do you say I am? And that's where disciples of Christ stand ready to give an answer when we are asked about that. Questions that always come to us from the culture of unbelief about who is Jesus and what does He stand for and what makes Him different than any other religious leader. Well, when He asked that question, Peter had an answer. And I think Peter felt pretty good about himself because he said, you are the Christ. Other places it says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus says something unusual, at least it appears to us that way in the surface of the story, that He says, don't tell anyone about this. And can you imagine that? That they're thinking, you know, this is the long-awaited Messiah. All the prophets talked about this. We've waited for this Messiah, this Christ to come. And now we identify Him as the Christ and He says, don't tell anyone? Well, it becomes obvious why as we follow along with the dialogue. Then Jesus began to talk to him and tell him what was going to happen. He said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be rejected by the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes, and I'll be killed. And on the third day, I'll rise again. And it's probably pretty obvious here from the story that Peter doesn't like that. And Peter probably is saying, oh, no, no. Every time Jesus makes one of those statements, Peter say, no, no, that can't be. Finally, I find the Christ, and he's talking about the fact that he's dying. And that's when Jesus had to take him aside and, you know, and say, you know, get behind me, Satan. He had to take him and to rebuke him. So it makes it pretty clear, doesn't it, why Jesus said, don't go and tell anybody, because Peter didn't really have the foggiest idea about what kind of Christ Jesus really was. We need to learn a lesson from that because just about everybody is capable of producing his or her own Christ. There are a lot of people out there in our culture, maybe even you are guilty of it too, of creating in your mind a Christ who meets your needs. See, Peter's Christ was not going to suffer nor die, he didn't have to be resurrected. That's why it would have been inappropriate for him to go out and try to tell people at that point about Jesus. And so Jesus had to inform him about what was going on and who he really was and what was really going to happen. You see, all the prophets had foretold that this Messiah would come. Isaiah talked about him being the suffering servant and who would give himself. And by his death, our sins would be forgiven. But somehow Peter had a different idea, a different concept about who the Christ would be and what He would be in His life. 
And the mistake a lot of people make is that they want Jesus Christ to fit into their life. They want Jesus to fit into their morals. They want Jesus to fit into their religion. And many of them want Jesus to fit into their politics and be a member of their political party. And that's not the way that Jesus comes to us. Disciples of Jesus Christ know that we don't change Christ, but that the Christ of Scripture comes to change our morals. He comes to change our lifestyle. And He comes to challenge us about our political views based upon the teachings of the Scripture. When Jesus said, on the third day I'll rise again from the dead, that absolutely had to have blown Peter away. But Peter didn't understand that it was only through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sin and His glorious resurrection from the dead that Jesus would validate that He was indeed the Christ. Now, modern technology with cameras today is something that most anybody with one of these new digital cameras can take a nice photograph. But it's still important that even though you don't have to go through the darkroom process and take a roll of film out and mail it off to get it developed, you know, as they send it back or take it to the store, even though when the fast photoshops were around, you know, you got a little, what did we say that thing was in the first? A chip. You got a little chip with it like that. And you take it out and then immediately see your pictures and put it in, plug it in one of those electronic devices and you can see it right there. But it's still important. You've got to have the focus just right or your images there that you are trying to photograph are going to be uh, not, in, not in focus. And the picture will be basically worthless. So Jesus realized this was the moment that He needed to bring everything into focus for them to understand the claims that He was making about Himself and what the Scriptures had to say about who the Messiah was going to be. I think that's the main reason why after He asked the disciples, what's out there on the street? What's the word on the street? What are people saying about me? That He turned very pointedly to them and said, now who do you say I am? You see that challenging question comes to us today too. Who do you say I am? And every one of us has to answer that question. That you are the Christ. And we have to understand it's not the Christ that we've created in our mind or even in our spiritual life. But He is the Christ of the Scriptures. The Son of God who left the glories of Heaven to come to earth to humble Himself and be submissive to death on the cross. And the question for us today is have you entered into that personal relationship with Christ? I'm not asking you if you attend church regularly. I'm not asking you if you're a member of the church. I'm not asking you if you've been baptized. I'm asking you, do you have a personal relationship with Christ? You see, there's a difference between being raised in the church and being raised in Christ. There's a difference between being in church and being in Christ. You know you're in Christ when you come to that point in your life where you acknowledge your sin and your need for a Savior, and accept what Jesus did on the cross as the fulfilling sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins. So the question is, are you a fan? Are you a follower? Are you a believer? Are you a casual Christian? Somebody made the analogy that a lot of us believers, a lot of us Christians could be called rabbit hole Christians. That uh, we pop up out of our holes in the morning and we go about our business, whether it's going to work or going to school or whatever, and we hold our breath while we're there, afraid that somebody's going to ask us about our belief or, are you not a Christian, you know? And then we come home, we have a bite to eat, we go to a Bible study, 
Then we come home and we end the day praying for the unsaved people that we very carefully avoided all day long. Does that describe your life? Does that describe your life? If it does, then you're just a fan. You're not a follower. You haven't really totally committed to Christ. You haven't allowed Him to come and change your morals. You haven't allowed Him to change your lifestyle. You're not making decisions that are so significant and important based upon His teachings. You're making them based upon your teachings or assumptions. Look at verse 38. That ought to be a sobering reminder to us. Jesus says, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Now, I think there are going to be a whole lot of people that are going to find out that Jesus is ashamed of them when he comes back. If you're going to be a follower and not a fan, you have got to build your life upon the Scriptures and the teaching about Jesus and who He is, all that He claims to be. I think the second challenge of discipleship that Jesus points out is a real disciple confronts the challenges raised by Jesus. Look in verses 35 through 36. Jesus says, Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? I think the issue is this. What on earth are you doing with your life? See, I think it's, it's harder to imagine an issue any bigger than that. And I think there are two possibilities. You can either invest your life or you can waste your life. It's that paradox that Jesus talks about here. It's an interesting paradox, isn't it? That Jesus said, if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you want to lose your life for the sake of the kingdom and the gospel, then you'll find it. See, what he's saying is, if you want to save your life and keep it to yourself that says, nobody's going to tell me how to live. Nobody's going to tell me how to believe. Nobody's going to tell me how to vote. Nobody's going to tell me how to manage my money, how much of my money to give, and how I should live, and how I should witness. Nobody's going to tell me how to do that. And Jesus says, you have that attitude, that mindset, you'll lose your life. But on the other hand, he says, if you're willing to lose your life in the kingdom of God and give your life to me, Then he says, you will be investing your life in that which is for all eternity. And you'll be making a difference. You will be in me, in Christ. And Christ is saying, I will be living then in you. That's the difference between being in church and being in Christ. You know, Jesus is simply saying, what determines whether your life is wasted or invested is your attitude towards me. If you want to hang on to life for yourself, you'll waste it. But if you want to hand over your life to me, you will invest it for all eternity. All of us realize that um, I guess almost at every age level, uh, the topsy-turvy economic times we've been in affected everybody. And uh, one of the phrases that has come out of that is toxic assets. And a toxic asset is really a a non-deforming, an unperforming investment. And one of the big things that's hit our country and that's really shaken us a lot is 
is that banks put out loans really at the demand of the government in that process about everybody needed to have a house. And, and now banks are holding these toxic assets because the loan is worth more than the value of the house that they loan the money on. And see, toxic assets could be any kind of thing. You look at your, uh, meet with your wealth management person and look at your portfolio and, and some of your investments are in things that are losing money. That's a toxic asset. It's, it's not performing. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. Well, we can also have a lot of toxic assets in our own lifestyle. There are things in our lifestyle that are, are toxic to us. There are liabilities. It's anything that leads us astray from the fundamental things of concern about Jesus Christ. Whether how it affects our moral life, how it affects our values, how it affects how we live our life. See, that's why I ask, you got any toxic assets in your life? Or where are your investments? How are you spending your life? Are you spending it for yourself or are you spending it for the glory of God and the kingdom of God? See, the essence of what Jesus is addressing is who is the center of your life and the commitment of your life. And if you want to be a true follower rather than just a fan, rather than just being in church, then you have to be one who has lost your life in Christ. In Christ you lose your life because only by doing so do you find your life. Many years ago C.S. Lewis wrote uh, one of the, what I call one of the classics about Christianity and challenging us about discipleship in a book entitled Mere Christianity. And uh, let me read a quote that he says here. He says, Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I am not come to torment your natural self but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it, but I want to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think are innocent as well as the ones you think are wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself my own will shall become yours. Let me ask you a question. Does Jesus have all of you? Has, have you given everything that you are to him? Does Jesus have all of you? He has to if you're going to be a fully devoted follower and not just a fan. And then there's a third thing that Jesus says about real discipleship. And that is a real disciple conforms to the pattern of Jesus See, a lot of people think that when they become a believer or accept Christ as Savior, that, they, they, that that's their journey's end. You know, it's like a, a life goal that you're checking off. You know, you've got a bucket list of all these things that you need to do and want to do before you check out of here. And, and one of them is, I've got to make that decision. So, you make that decision, you say, for Christ. Well, that's not the end of it. That's just really the beginning of the process. So, Jesus called those disciples to him and he taught them and then he sent them out. And he had to do a lot of teaching to clear up a lot of issues. And still, after the Easter event, they still were afraid and really didn't understand. And Jesus had to come back and give to them affirmation. 
But when you accept Christ as your Savior and you become a follower, you're just really beginning that process. Look at verse 34. Jesus called the crowd to Him along with His disciples and said, If anyone would come after Me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. They're the four things that Jesus describes about in, in conforming to His pattern. The first is found in that phrase, to come after. And it's a phrase that's used to describe a lover coming after the beloved. It's also used to describe a learner coming after the teacher. And it shows us the essence of the heart of Jesus. That He was obedient to the Father's will. And He left the glories of Heaven to come down to earth and live His life as a human being, yielding Himself to the cross and there dying for our sins as a sacrifice. Then by the power of God being resurrected on the third day. But you see He came after. He followed the teaching and the will of His Father. And He calls us to follow after Him and to conform to His image and His personality in that same way that we have to come after Him. What does that mean for us? No, it doesn't mean we have to be crucified literally on the cross. But it means that we have to yield ourselves, come after the teachings of Jesus. That's what that means. Then the second thing he says is, is to deny yourself. And denying yourself is, rep- is recognizing there are two ways you can run your life. You can do it yourself way or you can do it God's way. And doing it God's way is what the disciple does, the follower does. There comes a time when a disciple has to say, I recognize that a decision needs to be made in my life where I will say no to myself and yes to Jesus. You see, dying to self is what Christ calls for. But that's not really what is here in our culture among believers even today, is it? We don't die to self. If we did, we would understand that it's not about us. Church isn't about us. It's about those who have yet to come. It's not being in it for what we're going to get. It's going to be what we're going to get out of it so that we can not live like a rabbit hole Christian and we can confront the culture with confidence in Jesus Christ. So what we want today is we want comfort, even in our Christian lifestyle. Thomas Reeves is a University of Wisconsin historian, and I think he very, very accurately describes the state of religious belief in our culture today. He says, Christianity in modern America is in large part innocuous. It tends to be easy, upbeat, convenient, and compatible. It does not require self-sacrifice, discipline, nor humility. I think he's hit the nail right on the head. We want, we want what we're going to get out of it. We always ask that question, what's in it for me? And what we want today is we want comfort from our religion to our lifestyle. Everywhere we go, we want, we want, we want a comfortable job. We want to make a comfortable living. We want to live in a comfortable home. And we want it to be furnished comfortably. You know, we want all of that for our comfort. And when we live that way, and it trickles down into our Christian faith, then we're not living the way Christ lived it and modeled it for us. And uh, look at what you're sitting on today. Nice thick padded pews. Some churches even have the backs padded as well. 
over 50 years ago or so, there was no such thing as padded pews. Do you remember those days, any of you? Yeah, you sat on a hard wooden bench. There was no padding on it. Now, I'm not saying it takes to sit on a hard wooden pew to get saved or to be a follower of Christ. But when a, a Wall Street Journal has an article out about the fact that church interior companies now make 50% of their business off of softening the pews in churches, then that points out an issue I think that we have. And that is, we want our comfort. And then if we want it here, it shows in everything else that we do. Then Jesus says you have to take up your cross. See, when Jesus took up His cross, He wasn't just putting up with the, uh, with the inevitable for Him. But He was yielding Himself in submission and obedience to God's will. And in that He knew taking up His cross, He had to suffer. It was something that He voluntarily chose to do. We've talked in this series the difference between a burden and a thorn and a cross. The cross is what you voluntarily endure to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It might mean you lose some friends. It might mean you lose some prestige at work. It might mean that uh, you lose self-respect among your group that you were in. It might mean that you lose that friendship of that group altogether. Sometimes it might be hardcore and it means you get overlooked for a promotion at your job. It might mean that you get taunted at school. It might mean that you put up with a little bit of ridicule. But it's what you pick up to voluntarily endure to take up your cross and follow Christ. What are you willing to endure for the sake of Christ? What are you willing to endure to be a full follower of Jesus Christ? You see, when we look at the cross, we need to be reminded that it's a symbol that will not go away. It's a symbol of sacrifice. It's a sacrifice that gives each one of us hope and comfort and encouragement. And then Jesus says we have to follow Him. Follow Him. We got anybody in here who's a pilot? Anybody do any flying? Anybody fly? It's interesting. First service we had three. Jim Hamilton, David Smith, and Trip Gregory. And I asked him about this. If you, were, if you were taking pilot lessons, you would learn something of great significance, which is V1. And that's simply the place that you've reached in the speed of your plane on the runway that there's no stopping. There's no turning back. There's no aborting that, that liftoff. And that's the time you pull back on the stick and you take airborne. That's V1. And when you get to that point, you can't do anything else but take off. When we decide we're going to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, that's your V1 moment. And you have to decide that you're going to take off and you're going to follow after Him and there's no stopping you. There's no looking back because you've made that commitment to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. So I want to ask you today, are you ready to accept the challenges of discipleship that Jesus laid out? Are you in church but not in Christ? Are you ready to lose your life in the kingdom of God so that you will save it? 
And see, that's what true disciples, followers of Christ do. They conform to the pattern of Jesus. They confront the challenges of Jesus. And they confirm the claims of Jesus Christ. So ask yourself, am I a fan or am I a follower? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are indeed our Father, our God, and that you loved us enough that you would send your Son, Jesus Christ, to come and be our Savior. And we thank you, Father, that he calls us and deems us worthy enough to be his disciples and to follow after him. And that any one of us can do it if, first of all, we are in him. We place our life in him by faith. So, Father, I pray that you will allow each of us through the power and presence and movement of the Holy Spirit here today to look at our own lives and see if we're in Christ, if we're in you, if we have a personal relationship with him. And then where we are, are we just a fan? Are we just following Christ, admiring him from a distance, or are we a follower? Are we truly a follower of Christ? So, Father, I pray that you will speak to our hearts about that and lead us to make any decision that we need to make to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.